Hello, I'm Fenya. I'm Susanna. And I'm Nick, and we probably shouldn't be friends. That's because we're from different places and we come at issues from different angles. Me, I'm a gay, mixed-race, working-class bloke. Boxes ticked. And I'm a traditional Catholic woman living as an immigrant in a very liberal country. And I'm a climate protester turned riot police. But what we all have in common is we're looking to figure out what the hell is going on in the world and how we navigate it. And we'll talk about everything from politics to dating, from mental health to nutrition. We'll look at history and current affairs for inspiration and we'll share stories from our own lives. All topics and viewpoints will be welcome, so if you're easily offended, switch off now. Welcome back to Shouldn't Be Friends podcast. So this week we're going to take a walk back to 1997, the year where Cool Britannia was in full swing and we were busy selling Britishness to the world in the form of crumpets, red phone boxes, the spy scales, understatement and an unabashed love of the Union Jack. But things seem to have moved forward a little bit since then. The year 1997 is when it all started to change and now I'm wondering what is Britishness? And one thing we can notice from that is um, until 1997, net migration to the UK ran uh, in the 50 to 60 thousands every year. Last year, net migration to the UK was more than 500,000, a massive, massive shift. And with that comes lots of different cultures, lots of different races and lots of different uh, issues. Now, to be clear, before we start the conversation, Britishness always included all races and cultures, but the issue now is whether Britishness even exists to the same extent. With numbers so high, are we so international that now all we have is an international culture at the expense of any inherent national culture? So, girls, what do you think? That's that's a very big question. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. said it like that, but it's quite a big question, Fenya. Well, yeah, screw it. I'll just come out and say, yeah, I think we are losing a lot of our Britishness. Um, mainly in just the fact that we now have to be ashamed to be British, which I think is quite sad because every other country is allowed to embrace and encourage and enjoy their culture and everything like that. But our culture is now seen as inherently racist, inherently negative, and which was seen from that um, journalist who was mocked for having a British flag in his own home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, which I definitely think is a shame. I think the issue with that is is not necessarily inherently linked to migration. Mm-hmm. It's kind of more linked to globalization. But that I would say is that mm-hmm. you're not allowed to have a national identity because your identity is supposed to be mm. broad. I think what I noticed when I came to the UK, which was I was eight, so it was quite a long time ago, and it was really hard for me to know what British culture actually is because it was, I was about kind of, to say, kind of like it? it was everything and nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Even though I grew up in Wales, so in Wales it's a bit more, they stick a bit like they have St. David's Day celebrations, um, they stick to some of their customs, mm. but often it was just kind of very broad and bland kind of principles that so we're not trying to push um our culture onto the people who've come in for me personally Slovakia has a very very specific culture and and history they live it every day mm. when i came to the uk i couldn't quite i didn't know any Figure it out was, what that yeah, was yeah exactly it was really hard to fit in because there was no one kind of identity of britishness mm. it was kind of whatever you want to do do it and that's britishness i think <sighs> I think that's quite unique to us in the sense of I think we decided to follow a multicultural model of integrating different uh, 
migrant populations in the same style that our former colonies, the US and Canada, and to a smaller extent, Australia followed. The difference between the different countries is that the UK is an ethno state, whereas Mm. um, the former colonies are uh, purely migration nations. Everyone who's there, apart from indigenous populations, has immigrated. So it's a very different idea of what that national identity is. Mm. Whereas the UK has tried to follow a model that doesn't quite suit it because it's always had a large indigenous population that it now somehow, through government policy, says that the inherent British culture is not worth any more or less than any culture that washes up on our shores. And so it's treated as the same. Mm. Whereas if you look at countries like Germany or France, the migrant is expected to be absorbed into the dominant national culture. Yeah. So for me, when I started to realise that Britain actually did have quite a rich culture and traditions and whatnot, was when I became an adult and I started to do my own research. (laughs) And I kind of started to watch things that probably are not mainstream uh, Mm -hmm. media, like documentaries or whatever. And um, I realised, like, why why is it being pushed out? Because it's rich and it's beautiful and you've got other countries, they will sing their folk songs. In the UK, it's kind of lost that. There's no... I think it's like a shame in, like, who in who you are. I think maybe because we were such such a dominant power over the world, there there might be partially an arrogance there that you don't need to protect it because you've dominated and still through the US and the Anglosphere's dominance still can uh, dominate over other cultures. Maybe there's that to it. But then at the same time, we're actually in the only place we have we're diminishing who we are and what we are. And I don't think we know what we are. We don't know that actually, like, we are, in not to be cringy, but we are the flame of liberty. We are we give gave liberty to the world. And we just, we and suddenly we need the EU to keep us, to keep yeah. us, you know, stable-headed. I mean, yeah, stable something that we've always had, whether our culture's been rich or celebrated or whatever, I feel like we've always had quite a solid set of British moral values. And that's something that used to be encouraged and supported and like just stupid things like standing in a queue, opening <laughs> doors for people, being polite, not too polite, you do, like you don't want to no. come across too clingy, but like just a set of values that were sort of adhered to by everybody that I feel are now what's kind of in decline. The queue, the queen queue, the famous queue <laughs> kind of proved that it's still there to an extent, but it's very rare to see that, yeah. I think yeah. we just don't expect... We don't, yeah, we don't guard our culture. We don't guard uh, who or what we are and why we do things. But I think that might also be because we don't understand why we do things. Mm. Maybe we need to look more a little bit at who we are and why we are who we are and why it's been so successful. And that's the part of, of, of forming a, a personal identity mm. as well. You know, if my nationality doesn't form part of my identity, then you fill it with something else, don't you? And yeah. see what effect that has on people. So I think now we should move our conversation into different areas where migration has been successful, where it's not been so successful. Um, and at the moment, the big story in the in the news mm. is people who are coming over illegally on, on boats. Some see it as desperate refugees in search of a haven. Others see it as people who uh, illegally cross into um, our country, uh, breaking our rules. Um now, a report out, I think it was yesterday, said there were over 300 hotels in the UK housing people who have came over in 
through irregular means and that's costing the taxpayer um, around seven million a day and growing um where where do you guys sit on the on that issue well it's just the volumes are obscene really aren't they yes yeah. um i think that's that's the major issue just the sheer volumes that people are illegally coming into this country and i think that's the other issue as well i i'm very pro immigration my mother was an immigrant susanna you come from like <laughs> somewhere east i think that it <laughs> central europe i'll have you know yeah <laughs> exactly i think it brings a lot of benefits to a country I love foreign food, for example. I would be pretty sad if I just had to eat British food all the time. Not that I'm saying it's bad. I think illegal immigration is the issue. That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. So let's start with some numbers. Um, so the BBC report out yesterday, there are more than 51,000 asylum seekers in hotels at the moment. 51,000. That's a huge number. I mean, for a lot of people look at it from the point of view of the refugee, right? Mm. But they don't counter in what the refugee has gone through to get here mm. and why why are we allowing that to happen to people? So and the distances I think that people so confuse, confuse the refugees here with the poor and the desperate. Now, I, I, I've worked with refugees yeah. and I think probably you two have as well. The refugees who make it to the UK are from the upper middle class of their countries. It can cost £30,000 to get here. And they're paying Mm. who? Who are they paying? Smugglers, traffickers. They themselves endure a lot of suffering Mm. to come here Mm. um, in a way that supports criminal activity. They're creating a need for a whole new criminal industry that hasn't been here before because they've got the money and, and they're not, willing to pay. It's not good for them either. Like it's not a good life experience. It scars you for the rest of your life. I don't I don't think you can get over something like that like crossing the channel on a dinghy in I think this yeah. this in a weird way can make sense though because to these people that you know say let them in these are people who your ethnic bonds, your culture, your nation they don't understand any of that. I would imagine that most people that are leaving their countries don't really want to leave their country or at least want to go back in the future because most people identify with their national culture uh, and their history. Now, to these people who don't believe we should have any borders, it would completely make sense. Oh, yeah, just move them over here. Well, actually, we should be encouraging people to stay put where they are to fight for their nation and their and, and their culture and their history. And build their economies. Whether it, because if everybody able to work and everybody a, you know able to contribute to society leaves, then their country is going to suffer more as well. We're taking all fighting age young men or some uh, educated young men and women as well mm. who could be there fighting and rebuilding those countries. Like how, you know, we, they wrap themselves in the cloak of niceness. But how how nice is it really to take all of the best resources from a country and drain it? Yeah. And leave it to the dictator. And not even utilise it because a lot of these people are struggling to find legal work because they've come in through this country illegally. Well, yeah, they've been incentivized to make a trip across the world where they could be beaten up, raped, abused, trafficked, for, trafficked forced to work against their will. Oh, and they come here and they end up in a hotel on £36 a week on benefits. Mm. When that, Maybe at home they were training to be a doctor. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really seem in my head to benefit anybody. Especially if it's some, you know, coming from a place where there is no threat, immediate threat to their lives. Like, they're, they're mm. not coming from war zones, you know. I can't remember the statistic, but there was one out recently, wasn't there, that a lot of them are actually just coming from non-war-torn countries like Albania. Albania. Yeah. 
Well, that's exactly it. And we are racist here, although we approve more than half of Albanian applications when Germany and France refuse to take any applications from Albania because it's not a war-torn country. There's not been a war near Albania since, I think, the 90s. Even for people who are not from Albania. Now, I understand wanting to flee war. I think we all do. Yeah. Now, if you're in Syria and you get to Turkey... You're out the war. Yeah. Okay, right. Turkey might have its issues if you're a Kurd. Yeah. Okay, right. Then you get to Greece. You're out the war. Mm, Don't really like Greece. So I'll move up to Macedonia. Then I'll go through Romania. Then I'll go through Hungary. Then I'll go through wherever else. Oh, and then I get to Calais. France, yeah. yeah, and then it's like, well, now you're it's choice. You want what you want, you know? You can, you can ask for what you want, but you can also... Be told no. I think Suella Bravman um, announced that under our current um, asylum policy, there are 100 million people eligible to resettle in the UK. (laughs) That's it, yeah. And she said the only thing protecting us is the fact that they don't decide to come. Mm. That doesn't seem like a very uh, prudent situation to me. We just don't have the facilities to be able to manage that kind of influx in population, do we? No, because if, we, if we're talking in terms of things like climate change and stuff like that, and we need to be sustainable, mm. well, we already import a lot of our food because we're such a densely, densely populated country. And not um, really, you don't, we don't really have the climate to be growing a lot of the food that people want to eat, so you have to import mm. it while well, you're importing it in such huge numbers. Yeah, I think we import nearly half of our food. So if we want to keep building on on green land and destroying ecosystems, then that's uh, there's a bit of cognitive di- dissonance there, isn't there? Because it comes from the same people that say, you know, we all need to turn the lights off and go back to the dark ages. <laughs> but in our battery cages, because there's going to be 500 million people on this island. Mm. <laughs> um, so... I mean, Susanna, when you first... How old were you when you first came? I was eight, so, so I didn't work because <laughs> I was eight. Uh, did you, did you speak English before you came? Nope. Did you have to learn on the job? I had to learn on the job. I could say hello, goodbye, yes, no, and blue, pink, orange and red or something. Was it scary? It wasn't scary per se because my mum prepared me really well. Mm. Um, it de- does depend on, you know, what situation. I didn't come here on the dinghy just for... <laughs> I came here in a very legal, very safe... On a very plane. <laughs> Yeah, on a plane, very chill way. Um, and I was very well prepared, you know, as a child. But, like I said, it was a bit confusing to, because as a child, you want to box things up, don't you? You want to yeah. make sense of things. And the British culture for a very long time didn't make sense to me. Because I was trying to find it. And then when I thought I found something that is like a norm in the country, I went somewhere else and it was completely different. There was no, a bit like Fenya said, there were no uh, blanket norms and um, kind of expectations. You got any like examples? Um, Let me think about that and come back to you because... It's quite hard to think of an example. Yeah, cool. I'm just thinking, like, in the sense of, is it just because people just uh, maybe just not as much of a monolith as maybe in other countries, or is it just actually that there's just no where you were trying to find cultural norms? There weren't that many. I think even though if you look at food, for Mm -hmm. example, there is not really a big. I mean, I know Britain has traditional foods, but it's not really 
like a big cuisine. You have like three or four dishes that are well known, like shepherd's pie, fish and chips. But they're not yeah. really got the pub lunches. Yeah, pub That's lunches. But they're not really like mm. proper food that people historically would eat on a daily yeah. basis. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to like France or even my country or Poland or whatever, you have a very basic cuisine that everybody mm. knows and it's like the country's food and it's a lot of stuff. Um, mm. It's very diverse and varied, but it's like everybody knows these dishes. Whereas in the UK, it's very international food. Yeah. So like in school, we would have chips and curry or whatever. And there spaghetti was bolognese a spaghetti bolognese. And I was trying to make sense of it. Like, which one is the British one? <laughs> so, yeah. You know, um, even s- silly things like that. It's almost like from being historically the last few hundred years, such an internationalised country in terms of being the centre of a global empire, it's almost like the empire's gone ho- come home and we've just decided that we're just a microcosm of the world in a way. But then that reduces us, I suppose. Yeah. The one thing that is really good about the UK is that anybody can find their place and anybody is welcome. There are individuals that are horrible, but in general, everyone is accepted. Mm. But then that also goes the other way that that does erase the national identity because the national identity becomes everything and anything, you know? Well, uh, yeah, in order to define things, normally you have to define them against other things, which means excluding something. And I think we are searching for a new definition of what Britishness is. And I don't quite think people know because I think up until now, no one's wanted to say it, but I, I mentioned it earlier, like we were an ethno state, you know, ethnic Britons, like, and now, you know, we have this, uh, mass immigration culture it's like okay well what w- how do we define ourselves but then if we become a multicultural country then we're saying that all cultures are valid which then means that britain has no one culture so then what do we unite around i think that's the place where we've arrived now isn't it that's why we have so many different kind of issues arising because mm. we don't have that generic Thing mm. that we agree on everybody has lives in their little bubbles and different cultures so it's, it, it's quite yeah. what do you think Fenya? It, well, it also raises issues of conflict in cultures so it just it does create issues where we then try to accept and fit everybody in mm. and we never say that one person is wrong which just creates constant tension between everybody which i think is just why yeah yeah we're in such an angry nation at the moment there's just um, cult, constant cultural clashes that I've noticed anyway with different cultural phenomena such as like wokeism say that's not to me in my understanding of what Britain is is not very British thing no I would say that like it's more of a European thing or maybe even an American thing where there's this idea that you know I can go and and I need to shape society to look like what I want it to look like that's not really a British thing the British tradition is to kind of leave people alone yeah in terms of culture do you disagree I think if you I'm not really sure if I understand you correctly but I think there is that aspect of if you believe this is the right way to live every single culture um will want that for a hundred percent but what I mean is is that there's an idea that in liberalism that's that we've had for hundreds of years that no one culture should really be dominant in terms of like religion or political leaning it's the idea of the individual's rights rather than a co- enforced collectivism mm-hmm. and I, what I see what you see with the woke side of things is this uh, impetus to enforce one way of life on everyone mm. which I am like sometimes I'm like is that 
could that be connected to how largely our cultural landscape has changed with the import of peoples from different parts of the world with different uh, viewpoints on how a country should be run? Is there that respect for difference and disagreement and uh, live and let live? Do you get what I mean? Because a lot of the places that people can come from are like troubled, war-torn, where Mm. people are not able to have non-violent communication between different viewpoints. Does Does that... yeah, makes sense. I think that wokeism is more of a of an American phenomenon. It's kind of yeah. come from there, and it's really beyond any culture because it technology has given it such a such powers that it wouldn't have had mm. in you know historically wouldn't wouldn't be possible. So it's quite difficult to compare that to kind of traditional cultures. Yeah, um, because it's quite a global phenomenon. It's gone beyond any borders, and it doesn't really have a national identity. It's kind of this, no. I this understand world. that, but what I, I suppose what I mean is, is that going along with wokeism to me is like fundamentally like un-British. It's, it's not in the British mm. tradition. It's not to have tradition. an inquisition like it's, that. Wokeism is a very intolerant. Yeah, and culture. that's I don't know if that's what we're calling it. Yeah, and but it's very much you disagree with me. I'm not talking to you. Like leave this country. Like. It's kind yeah. of like the almost the epitome of like racism, but against like sort of intrinsic values, kind of like go home, like you're not welcome here. Mm. Sort of, but about things that they think are particularly liberal, which I think are inherently illiberal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's more it. I feel like just in some way that's got such a comfortable, deep seated tradition of liberalism, how it could just change like that. Yeah. I just wonder like whether there's other things that have got that. Uh, reasons that have made us more susceptible to it than I thought we would have been. Yeah, perhaps I think I think that also the mindset of the like you mentioned earlier, the mindset of we want to we want to be welcoming and inclusive. Mm. That also has its negatives because mm. then you you kind of get, you have to give up something to make space for the, for the yeah. new culture coming in. Mm. So I think that's that's probably been the start of of the kind of if you want to call it erasure, erasure of, of the traditional British values and culture. Well, that's it. And I, I, th- I, I almost feel like uncomfortable talking about it because I feel like there's something wrong with me for, for feeling like it or wanting to talk about it. But I do think that, you know, if you're going to fundamentally change a culture forevermore, then we can at least explore it and talk about it. I don't really see the harm in that. Like, no. I'm yeah. I'm an amalgamation of cultures myself, as are both of you. Yeah, and then you feel like guilty for seeing problems. I'm not against a multiracial Britain at all, mm. like or mul- <laughs> even multicultural Britain at all. I'm multiracial myself, but yeah. like it's just talking about okay, well everything has a cost, and what yeah. what is the cost? Why have we never spoken about the cost? Mm. I think going back to immigration, the the cost of of illegal immigration in particular is much more than just culture. Mm. Um, what, what about the economical side of it? Where do we <laughs> want to start? <laughs> People need to realise that there was a uh, conceited uh, decision made by Labour politicians in the late 90s and early 2000s that their way of growing the economy was going to be through immigration. So... John Major and Margaret Thatcher had left us in a position where we were having really high productivity growth. Um, For anyone who doesn't know what productivity is, it's basically just measures how much output the typical worker will make per hour worked. Mm. So it's a a measure of efficiency and a healthy economy. And they left us in a position where 
um, that was very, uh, it, it was good doing really well, basically. And businesses were investing in things like automation, improving processes to make their productivity better. Mm. And one thing you can do, investing in making productivity uh, increases is something that you need to be incentivized to do. So if labor gets too expensive, you might think, okay, well, I'll get a robot to do that for me. Yeah. But another thing you can do is you can just keep the cost of labor down. Mm. And that's that's what uh, the labor government did. So they decided, I know, what we'll do to keep business costs down is we'll import people from all over. um, And less in their home countries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the issue with that then means that people's wages fall. And there are lots of studies out there that say that this didn't happen. But if you speak to especially any working class person, they'll all tell you that wages did stop growing because it's basic economics, it's basic supply and demand. If I have one apple and there's 10 people that want to buy this apple, I might be able to sell it for 20 quid. Mm. If I've got 50 apples, but there's only 10 people that want to buy them, I might only be able to sell them for, t- for 10p. Do you, get, do you understand yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so that's just basic economics and that's the way... Pr- yeah, that's yeah. the way markets work. So then what then happened is where you have this limitless supply of cheap labour to the point, actually, where a lot of companies wouldn't even advertise their jobs in the UK. They would advertise them directly in Poland, Czechia and other Eastern European countries to bring people directly over. You get it in a position where you are not incentivized to invest in increasing your productivity because you don't need to, because you don't need to keep your costs down because they're being held down anyway. So then the logical end point of that is that the living standards of the indigenous population fall. It's okay for immigrants coming over because they're still getting a better deal than what they had at home. Hmm. And so the indigenous population has felt a material decrease in their living standards over the past 15, 20 years. And it has not been openly spoken about because those people have been demonised as working class brutes and racists. Mm. When actually... They just want to feed their families. When actually they've all taken it laying down. (laughs) I think think that's another effect of it is that all these people, like including my my mum, she was willing to do the jobs that for a lower wage than a Brit probably would, mm-hmm. um, which then kind of demotivates the local population as well because they're like, well, all these people are doing all these you know, mm-hmm. jobs for a low wage, which I'm not willing to do. Mm-hmm. So where do I go now? I can, it's quite, I mm-hmm. think there's been a kind of another effect of it where the local population kind of stopped trying in a way in some areas. And they just, if you go to some areas of Wales, where there is a lot of immigrants and a lot of local people, mm. like the area where I'm from, a lot of the times the unemployed people are the locals, the, yeah. the, you know, and they because they don't want to do the job for a lower wage, mm-hmm. so they don't really have yeah, yeah like anything, and it kind of demotivates them to. I, d- I think try. that's true, but I think there's also other nuances in there. Definitely, I think yeah. the difference is if you're an immigration to a new co- immigrant to a new country. You're hopeful. You're optimistic. You don't and mind it's an starting at. Yeah, it's exactly. already an improvement yeah. to what you had, but exactly. you've also got this vision of what could be. Yeah. And you're also a certain type of person to even want to move to another country. Mm. When you then move them into working class communities, these are people that have never risen above their station. These are yeah. people that are the lowest rung of our society. And then if you say to them, actually, you could earn more, say, staying at home on benefits 
then they're comp- mm, they're going to do issue, that. But they're also completely disenfranchised from the system. True. Yeah. And I think that part of it gets missed. Cool. So. Cool. <laughs> it's not cool though, is it, Nicholas? Oh, no, no, it's not cool. <laughs> no, but I went on my rant. I feel yeah. like I've had a bit of a purge. Um, <laughs> so then, obviously, there's the other side of the economic debate, which is, you know, people, that, uh, as I say, like a lot of people that move uh, here from other countries, they've got an entrepreneurial spirit, they want to work hard, and I'm sure that they improve the dynamism of the economy long term. I just think in huge numbers, how can we integrate that amount of people i mean you move on to the housing situation i mean how much is the average house in london oh yeah half a million pound for that's not the average house that's half a million pound for a studio flat that's a previous garage (laughs) so which was a garage garage (laughs) where's that well, anyway, when I was looking around, um, looking around to rent, I also looked around just out of interest to, you know, in September. So that mm. was probably gone mm. up as well. The kind of cheapest thing you can get is four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, and those are the kind of one bed slash um, studio flats, studio flats like that are one bedroom made into yeah. Whereas these places in the nineties were just easy buys for middle class kids straight out of uni, mm. would move to places one like working parent. Yeah, and they could buy a flat in London, which these days you have two working partners have to work for about ten years of their life, <laughs> never go out to dinner, yeah. like, have rich parents, and sacrifice their firstborn child in order <laughs> to buy like a yeah a flat in London. So then, what's happened to the housing market then? Well, mm. I mean, one of the main things we can see there's there's two things. I think there's obviously the huge increase in our population. I think it's around eight million migrants we've had since 2000 mm. or maybe 2004 but yeah but anyway in that in a very short b- yeah, space so of time and the problem is that most well not a problem but most come to london so mm. that's a huge um population to absorb and actually immigration helped london recover its pre-war um population in 2015 so we'd had the mass we'd had the move out to the suburbs mm people enjoying better living standards bigger homes um away from sort of the slums that people lived in before the war and now with this huge population but also we have all of these restrictions on where where we can build and when we can build is that people housing is getting way more expensive and way smaller Mm -hmm. so then that's also a material uh reduction in our living standards of what you would normally expect you know it was not a difficult thing in the 90s if you were you know straight out of uni to go and move to Notting Hill with your mates and easily afford you know a, a bloody townhouse mm. oh no now that's millions of pounds that yeah you, you just can't do that no. now you've got people house sharing like well into their 30s yeah or living at home or living at home mm. but what if you don't like your family or they <laughs> don't or they don't like you yeah <laughs> they could cure yeah and um, what what has personally affected me is I've been into a lot of these council-issued flats and places where immigrants are, are being moved to. I remember the one that probably hit me the most was in Chelsea. It was a penthouse suite with a rooftop garden, mm. which he got for free. What? And I just thought that, like... What? I, yeah. Can I get one, please? Yeah. So, I mean, like, to How be honest, it wasn't in a good state, but it could have been in a beautiful state. Right. Like, had some effort been made, had he cleaned his pots and pans, it would have been a gorgeous flat. 
Was this someone you were arresting? It was somebody I was trying to arrest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, more on that later. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just like it does embitter you as yeah. a British native to think this is a man who I am here arresting for immigration offences, and and he's got this gorgeous flat, and I'm just like. Struggling to pay like, your yeah, rent. In your was that was life. that government issued then? Yeah. Oh, so it's council. Yeah, so it's council. Oh, right. so it's just like so he didn't get that off his own efforts. Was was council and like it was this stunning building in the middle of Chelsea. He got the penthouse suite, which fine, but it was just the fact that this whole like it could wow. be housing for somebody who works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. I think the problem where, as it goes back to when we're talking about um, how the supply of labour has forced down uh, wages, we're now in a situation where wages are at a subsistence level for a lot of people. So then that means that benefits can either be at the same level as people who work in lowly paid jobs or sometimes even higher. Mm. And so then what, what happens What happens then? Yeah. I know a multiple... Well, now I'm not sure if they're on benefits now, but I know the case was five, ten years ago multiple some of them were locals some of them were immigrants that would rather just have a part-time job even though they can get a full-time job mm. and benefits mm. because it's more lucrative you get more money you get a free house you get reduction on um, on your bills mm. you get free school meals for your kids you get all these things for free you work part-time so you have a bit of money on the side mm. but if you work full-time all those benefits are taken away yeah. and now you're left to so fend for yourself what's the incentive yeah. to work work needs to pay but i'm not sure that it's through cutting benefits i think it's got to be through materially improving what people earn at, at mm. work but not just by going you have to pay them more we have to have an economy where people can naturally more. earn mm. more because you know we're incentivizing companies to invest in their employees and and give people decent jobs and then that that leaves us into other areas such as if you're a disenfranchised you can't find anywhere to live you can't find a decent job and then these uh, different different people from different parts of the world um and you're now your neighbors and we talk about some cultural tensions um has there been an effect on crime well, I would definitely say so. Um, I, did, well, I did some research into this earlier today and I really struggled to find any statistics of what's going on this year. Um, I did find a few articles from 2012 and 2013 that were saying like some quite shocking rates of illegal immigration and crime. Right. Um, I don't think it's any secret that stabbings, violent crimes, they've all gone up in London. Yeah. Like robberies, armed robberies, like knife point robberies they've all massively increased and from my experience with that i rarely arrested a british person for those kind of crimes right it was i think it's certain people that have come from cultures where violence is more common in their country so for mm. example you've come from a war-torn zone you're you're sort of um having to fight every day to survive, you probably are carrying a knife on you because, mm. like, That's if you're in a war-torn zone, like, you're going to want a knife on you in case something happens. But you yeah. come over here, you've still got that kind of nervousness around you, which mm. probably is going to take a while to, to get rid of. And instead of sort of being supported and encouraged because they've come in the legal route, they've gone onto the streets to commit crimes and they're doing it in the same sort of violent ways that they've been having to survive back yeah. in their war-torn countries. 
I think it's also that when you come here illegally, you can't get a job because you're illegal. Mm. So what are you going to do if you want to, money? Yeah. Whatever. Like people naturally in that situation when they can't even, you know, some of them I'm sure wouldn't wouldn't go to crime, but because they've come here legally, they don't have a job and they have connections with these gangs that smuggled them in. Mm. Well, make a quick buck, get involved with crime. I mean, it's a natural progression. There is a correlation. You can't deny that. And a lot of them are paying off the gangs that got them in here in the first place yeah. by getting involved in crime. Well, I also imagine it's an easier transition when you're already here illegally and if you have to work, you have to work in the black economy. I can imagine that you're with unscrupulous... Imagine you're with unscrupulous people and it's not a far stretch to then start going down a road that maybe you didn't want to go down. Mm. But these things all have effects and you can't just tell people that things in all different realms, housing, crime, the economy... Culture. Culture will just get worse and you just go, oh, okay. Yeah. But we're expected I think to. It's, it's, it's really ignorance, not tolerance, to say that we should let the borders be open, flung, you know, because mm. it's, not, it's not tolerance towards the people who are already here, whether they're immigrants mm. or not. It's not tolerance towards the people who are making those journeys. Mm. It's not tolerance to the crime prevention that efforts that are going on and are trying to stop these smuggling gangs. Like It's not tolerance to allow people to put their lives in danger for no reason, really. Yeah. It's not It's not tolerance. You can't claim to be a tolerant and loving and thoughtful person and support illegal immigration. We it need, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we need to start maybe start tackling these arguments and taking them to their logical endpoints. If we say that you can come to the UK regardless of whether we've approved it then that automatically means we have no border we have no right to defend a border so what's that then just chaos and another thing that you kind of just brought up is that because a lot of the people coming in legally they can lie on the border about who Mm. they are what they've done we've seen recently quite a few cases in the news where someone has committed a crime in another country even a european country and then they just waltz into the UK and because mm. they they don't have a passport, you can't you can't check if they're a criminal or not. So you're letting people in without knowing who you're letting in. It's not really safe in that way either. And what you were saying about when you try to arrest someone for committing a crime if they they don't have a passport or they lie to you, there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. Well, we also get stuck in this endless loop in the UK when it comes to immigration and committing crimes. In deportation is an absolute nightmare because if you've been arrested for a crime which hasn't yet been processed and then you get arrested for another crime, as long as you just keep committing crimes and they don't get processed, um, processed fast enough, you can stay in this country as long as you remain a criminal. What a lovely incentive. No as one, long as you stay a criminal, you can stay. No mm. one really refers also to how disenchanting that must be to legal migrants. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the time they have to live in the same communities and they might also get lump, lumped in with uh, the resentment of of uh, British people. And it's not fair for people who have done everything right and wanted to come and improve their lives and then... That, you know, they get usurped by these people that don't really care about the rules. Not only that, but the effort it takes to legally come, like Mm. you need a sponsorship, you need a job, you need to be 
someone who adds value to the society, you need to work hard to be mm-hmm. able to come here legally. Yeah. You need to actually work hard and do your best. Where is the where is the fairness and justice in that? Where you have someone who's genuinely tried their best and is contributing to society and has done all the difficult paperwork and everything that goes along with legal immigration. And then you have someone who just does it, you know, the opposite way, mm. but gets everything for free and gets rewarded for doing it. I think that's why I wanted to start the conversation off by, you know, how the how we identified as British, you know, 20, 30 years ago and what we think of Britishness as now. Because I think that the the lack of understanding of what that is and the lack of willingness to defend that is what feeds all these other things. And I think that it's conceited. I do mm-hmm. think that there that the establishment has a great interest in removing our attachment and bond to our nation, to our culture, to our community, to make us just lifeless capital-like money or buildings or land you know we're just another thing to be managed and we don't have the emotion is taken out of it yeah and it's upsetting as well the fact that you try to challenge these norms and you're the one that's just seen as a horrible racist and like you just can't do it can you and the people who are saying um say it all fenya we're going to be (laughs) cancelled after this exactly so it is people like gary lineker who are very sort of pro-illegal immigration and stuff like that, he's sort of dubbed as a national hero. And I think the irony, just a closing thought for me, is that the irony, as someone who comes from a country where it is is expected that you have pride in your national identity and your national culture, it's really ironic that in the UK you're allowed to be proud of every single other aspect of your personality, your race, your the color of your skin, your sexuality, this and that, your you, you know maybe your historical cultural background. If you're not from the UK, but you're not allowed to be proud to be British, especially English. Especially <laughs> English, and especially yeah, especially if that, you're white. Oh my God! Don't even talk to me about those people. <laughs> you can't see me, but you can hear me, and I um I'm not white like these two people. <laughs> Are white people even people anymore? No, whiteness is a disease. Oh my god. Urging <laughs> off the face of the earth. On that note. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us and catch us next week. We're sure to be talking about something else that will get us cancelled as well. <laughs> Have a lovely week. Bye. Bye. Bye.